0: Okay, let's bow our heads for prayer. Father, we again invite your wisdom. We want to uh, we want to view all this as you do, and Lord, <clears throat> we want to understand not only where we're at and what's going on around us today, and what we can do today, but Father, to the best of our ability and to the extent of your wisdom, help us to understand the future. Where are we going? How do we deal with this? What, what's the end game that we're to play? These things we ask in Jesus' name, amen. amen. <clears throat> okay, I did not put ellipses on the end of this title, but how does it close? The track of truth is... No? <laughs> oh man, a trick question right off the bat. I didn't. <laughs> uh, close beside the track of error. That's Ellen White. Okay, that's not my wisdom. The track of error close beside the track of truth. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed, yeah. So, you know, the Bible says that those who call good evil and evil good have a woe coming upon them. And, you know, frankly, I fear that I do that sometimes, not hopefully intentionally, but just because I'm, I'm dumb, you know. And I see things or don't see things, and sometimes I misinterpret them. I didn't put a statement in here, and I should have. And I will take a quick look to see if I can find that. Um, I want to read you a statement because this scares the daylights out of me. <laughs> Almost. Um, I'm really not sure what daylights are, to tell the truth. It's difficult to know <laughs> what that means. But, anyhow, um, it's a troublesome statement. Give you a little history. In 1885, there was a revival in the Healdsburg, California, church. It was not perfect. Some fanaticism developed. And so as a consequence, the leading ministers in the area, I think it was J.H. Wagner, Loughborough, I think, was involved. Um, I don't remember who else. Anyhow, there were three main ones, I believe. They came in and they just shut it down. This revival is done. The revival had been led out by a a minister by the name of E.P. Daniels, who no relation to A.G. Daniels, right? So don't confuse the two. E.P. Daniels was a good speaker. He had quite a few personal problems. There were issues and challenges within his family, his wife, at times, at least, from the testimonies they received, personal testimonies at other times, (coughs) you get the impression that there was a lack of consecration and a kind of a a bit of a hypocritical approach at times of preaching the truth and living something else. That was a few years later. Exactly where they were at in 1885, I don't know. But Ellen White comments and says that Brother Daniels is not a perfect worker and that problems would develop within uh, a um, uh, a revival that he had you know was leading out should be no surprise to anyone Uh, very few if any human beings can fill all the needs in a complex spiritual situation and so ellen white says yes of course there was some Fanaticism, I understand that. But then she says this. <clears throat> I wish to say some things in reference to the revival at Healdsburg. I wish to say I am not in harmony with your treatment of this matter. That there were fanatical ones who pressed into the work, I would, do not, I would not deny. But if you move in the future, as you have done in this matter, you may be assured of one thing you will condemn the work of the latter rain when it comes. For you shall see at that time far greater evidences of fanaticism. I cannot sanction your course. I cannot see that while you were working to correct evils, as you might have done, that you should stop the work. If this is the way you manage when God sends good, be assured the revivals will be rare. When the Spirit of God comes in, it will be called fanaticism, as on the day of Pentecost. Okay. <laughs> Reference. Well, that's a fair quest. Reference is Manuscript Release, Volume 21, page 147. 147? Mm-hmm. And you can find even more information on that circumstance. Uh, it's on the CD-ROM, I forget which component of the ROM. Maybe it's the research papers, or maybe it's, I don't know. But you know hunt around until you find something called charismatic experiences in the early Seventh-day Adventist history. Page 28 to 30 talks about that situation. OK, <clears throat> so here's the thing. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to condemn the latter rain. I I don't think that's a healthy thing to do. I don't want to condone the fanaticism that will be present at the latter reign. She said there will be much more evidence of fanaticism, and condoning it is not a healthy thing to do. I kind of get the impression that dealing with these issues is a lot like walking along a trail on the edge of a mountainside where the road gets narrower and narrower. (laughs) You ever hear that story? (laughs) We're going to need hold from above, or we'll mess it up. I think it's important for us to recognize that this is a job that is way beyond our Qualification level. I'm not smart enough. Bless you if you are. I'd like to spend time with you. (laughs) You know. I honestly believe that it's it's set up this way because God needs to teach us, needs to bash us up alongside the head a few times till we finally get the idea that we're just actually not as hot as we think we are. You know? It is the work of righteousness by faith to lay the glory of man in the dust. You know, I still have a hard time with the idea of thinking I always have to be dependent on God. It just seems like, you know, it just seems wrong, doesn't it? And I think he has a hard time with me thinking that. <laughs> because the way he set things up is we need to acknowledge our dependence on him. Continually. How do I learn to do that? How do I learn to do that? We'll come back to that thought. We need not the mysticism that is in the book Living Temple. Those who entertain these sophistries will soon find themselves in a position where the enemy can talk with them mysticism direct communication from the spiritual source soon find themselves in a position where the enemy can talk with them and lead them away from god it is represented to me that the writer of this book is on a false track he has lost sight of the distinguishing truths for this time he knows not whither his steps are tending the track of truth lies close beside the track of error and both tracks may seem to be one to minds which are not worked by the holy spirit and which therefore are not quick to discern the difference between truth and error that's what we need. What is it we're told will enable us to see, to recognize sin in any form? Pardon? Holy Spirit. Yes, but what's the other imagery that's used for that? No? The ISAV. Yeah, the ISAV. Laodiceans need better eyesight than we've got to discern error. I forget the exact wording. I think it's discern error in any form or something like that. I forget the exact wording. Okay, I said. remember that. Laodicea, touches on that here. That's special. Why did I do that? Okay. <clears throat> oh, okay, I know what's going on. Um, there are a lot of things that the emergent guys talk about and terms and expressions they use that, I mean, is there something wrong with things being relevant? No, I'd rather have an irrelevant sermon. You know, okay, well, relevant sounds good. Interesting sounds better than boring. Vibrant. Oh, yeah, you know, sounds better than dead. Active, you know? okay, I'm just saying, you know, everybody, every salesman uses adjectives to describe their, their product, you know, okay. <clears throat> I like this little um, motto This is the official motto of the one project. Jesus, all. It's catchy, pretty good branding. It's not even a bad idea. My problem is that I don't think they're living up to it because it seems to me that if I'm going to have Jesus all that one of the key components would probably be the testimony of Jesus. And there seems to be a pretty strong willingness to ignore the spirit prophecy on certain details at least. <clears throat> this is the, uh, another statement celebrating the supremacy of Jesus in the Adventist church. Anybody want to argue with that idea? Well, I'd like to nominate uh, maybe Elder Wilson to be above Jesus. (laughs) Nobody's going to argue with that. Now, it's interesting, and I don't know if there's any meaning to this whatsoever. Actually, I just noticed this this morning. They've redesigned the One Project website recently, and they've reworded this. This is what it has been. What would that mean? I, I I don't I don't know if there's any meaning or what, but they made that change. I, I I don't I'm I'm not sure what they're saying there's multiple paths. Yeah, that that's the one thing that you know it's it's like we could do this through the Baptist church or we could do this through the Pentecostal church, but yeah, we happen to be Adventists, so we'll do it through the Adventist Church. Is that is that what yeah, through can go in and out. It doesn't have to stay in. It can go through.
1: Oh, that's a fact.
0: <laughs> well there's truth to that too. So I don't know. i you know, I the Bible talks about what is it? Um condemning a man for a word, right? You know, I don't wanna don't wanna do that necessarily. Danny? This is a mission catalyst program and their, and their attempt to restructure and change how they reach the world. And that's what it tells me. Okay. It's a problem, the mission I'm not familiar with that one, so. More homework, okay. (laughs) Okay, well, let's go on. (coughs) Now, at the height of the alpha, Ellen White wrote this interesting statement. You've probably seen it, but I just thought it would be worth taking a moment to to go through it kind of step by step. (coughs) One thing I do want to touch on. The alpha and omega- Prophecy of the Alpha of apostasy and the Omega of apostasy, right? Um, 1904, 1905, something like that. I forget exactly when it came out. Um, three different places, Ellen White speaks of Alpha and Omega of apostasy in close proximity. I don't think she ever speaks of the Omega of, a pro- of, of apostasy or heresy or something like that in context, isolation by itself. She does speak of the Alpha of apostasy without saying anything directly about the omega. So you can find a number of places about the alpha, only about three places where it actually has two of them in any context or close context. The omega of apostasy, there's very little told us about it. She says uh, it was of a most startling nature. She says it would be accepted by those who uh, didn't accept the warning God had given um, she says it would come in a little while, she trembled for the people, those things. But she doesn't really tell us a lot about the Omega. Um, <clears throat> the first thing that I know of that somebody said that's the Omega was two years later when Kellogg legally took the Battle Creek Sanitarium away from the denominational control, basically. They said, oh, what a terrible thing. That's the omega of apostasy, right there. Well, you know, I don't really think so, actually, because to me, the omega is at the end, and 1907 was not marked by the coming of Christ. So down through the years, though, other people have drawn attention to this prophecy and said, oh, this is the omega, or this is the omega, or this is the omega. And it's kind of interesting, for whatever it's worth, just to look at it, because... It's the relationship between the alpha and the omega that tells us anything about the omega, right? If I were to say, if you go north, if you go due north for three miles, you'll come to my house. That would work if what? Yeah, if you were three miles south of my house at the time, okay, you know? Um, You have to know, the one bearing or coordinate you, know, coordinate, you know, location or something in order to use a, a, a relationship of distance and, you know, whatever else, any other sort of thing to, in order to get your bearings. So we know the alpha. So the question is, what's the relationship between the alpha and the omega? And for decades, the prevailing opinion was <clears throat> the alpha, of course, is the first letter of the Greek alphabet right? Alpha, beta, Gimelaine, right? Alpha, beta. That's how we get the word alphabet. Okay. So the alpha is the first letter, and the omega is the last letter. And the prevailing hermeneutical approach, if you wish, was to say that the omega then would be the opposite extreme from the alpha. So what's the opposite of pantheism? Okay, <laughs> <laughs> well, different people came up with different ideas because the opposite of pantheism is, is actually, it's a, it's a little, it's a I mean, who's to say what the opposite of pantheism is? I mean, you can go different, you know, what's the opposite of a dog? You know, most people would say a cat, but why isn't it a giraffe? You know? <laughs> so, or a snake or something. I mean, what's the opposite of a dog? I don't know what the opposite of a dog is. Okay, so... The anti-dog, that's it. <laughs> okay. So, um, different people said different things. I mean, one, one well-respected individual, a guy who's, who's, you know, knowledge and piety I respect, Julius Gilbert White, he said, you know, that the, the alpha was making too much of humanity, saying that humanity was divine. So the opposite was not recognizing the value of humanity, and he says, we're not living up to the health message. It's it's all of our institutions, specifically our hospitals starting to serve meat and all these other things and lo- moving away from the health message. That's the omega of apostasy. Well, I don't, you know, I don't think it was probably a good idea when we did some of those things, but I'm not sure that was the omega of apostasy. Okay. Uh, probably the most well-known one, you some of you uh, older types here would remember 1980, uh, Lewis Walton's book, Omega. Um, and what he did is he said the Alpha was the internalization of God, and the opposite is the complete externalization of the salvation process, so forensic justification, which, of course, is what Desmond Ford was teaching at the time. Um, none of those authors had the advantage of being able to do an electronic search of the spirit of Prophecy. prophecy. Okay? That really helps a lot of things. Okay? When you go looking, it becomes apparent that the omega is not the opposite. The relationship is not of opposite extremes. It's the relationship of acorn and oak tree. (laughs) Okay. I actually wrote an article about that sometime in the 1980s, late 80s, and I said what's predicted here is a resurgence of spiritualism within Adventist church. And, And I was laughed at. (laughs) because that was impossible to imagine at that time. It's like, hello, we don't do spiritualism, really. We're we're going to go back in this whole Kellogg thing, and pantheism, (laughs) that's the stupidest thing I ever heard of. I was not, uh, you know, I didn't win any Pulitzer Prizes for that article. Um, (laughs) I think it was called the Omega. Well, it's... It coincidentally turned out to be one chapter in this book. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't remember when it was published originally as the article, but yeah, it's, it's now in the book. But, but, but I, I think it's important for us to understand that concept. This is, this is there's, there's not a random relationship. This is an acorn. This is what grows out of an acorn. They get big. <laughs> You know, give them time. They get big, okay? So at the height of the Alpha, she wrote this interesting. It's longer than this. This is part of it, okay? The enemy of souls has, brought in to, has sought to bring in the supposition that a great reformation was to take place among Seventh-day Adventists. Does the Seventh-day Adventist church need a reformation? Yeah. Is there anything wrong with that much? Well, the enemy of souls part, that's kind of bad. But yeah, other than that, yeah, we need a reformation. But that's not where the sentence stops. <clears throat> and that this reformation would consist in giving up the doctrines which stand as the pillars of our faith. Okay, now we have a problem. What are the doctrines which are the pillars of our faith? Okay. Probably we could equate that more or less with an earlier discussion Ellen White had where she spoke of the landmarks, stand by the old landmarks, remember that from 1888, you know, and she listed off, not that many actually, Second Coming, Sanctuary, State of the Dead, Um, what am I missing? There's five S's. So convenient. Sabbath. Sabbath, Thank you. (laughs) Okay, and and the fifth one is Spirit Prophecy, which she didn't list that because she had some humility, too, right? You know, but you know, so, uh, but uh, that's about what she listed is, is those four S's. You know, This reformation would consist in giving up the doctrines which stand as the pillars of our faith and engaging in a process of reorganization. What does that mean? We reorganized once in 1901. Reorganization. Does this prediction hold meaning for us today? That's, that's basically what I'm asking. This is what she wrote in 1906 or something. Does this apply today? I, I don't have, you know, reorganization. Well, what specifically does it? I don't have a, a lot of wisdom to offer on that. Something to keep in mind. Were this reformation to take place, what would result? The principles of truth that God in his wisdom has given to the remnant church would be discarded. Now, are the principles of truth the same thing as the what you say? Was it foundations? I'm sorry, I've forgotten what the wording was. Pillars? Uh, pillars, okay. So do we think that the principles of truth are the same as the pillars? I'm going to suggest that possibly principles of truth, in my mind, would perhaps be a little broader. That'd be my thinking, for whatever it's worth. Our religion would be changed. Well, yes, if you have a reformation, I would think so. The fundamental principles, I think we're talking the same ones up here, the fundamental principles that have sustained the work for the last 50 years would be accounted as error. Um, I'm speculating, or you know, whatever, I'm not sure, I'm not sure speculation is the right word precisely, but I'm speaking without a, a complete level of certainty in my comments here at this moment. But going back to the reorganization, the fundamental principles that have sustained the work, one of the most fundamental principles of the Adventist Church is that it has existed as a whole. We are not a congregational denomination. For our interpretation of scripture is a historical something, historicism. Historicism, yeah. yeah. And then now, when it's ordination, they're actually sort of a set of That's things. true, hermeneutical it's principles, historical yeah. Historical Okay um, yeah yeah no it's a good point it's a good point um, <clears throat> the principles of sustained the work, and yeah, maybe i'm wrong but I'm, I'm 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 you know what this brings to my mind at least is is the organizational structure, and I think perhaps we are seeing a movement towards a uh, more disjointed you know let every union or every conference decide for themselves approach that's certainly what the you know has come out of the ordination issue just in the last couple of weeks you know um, the the concept of I'm going to move ahead because that's what I want to do rather than we are in this together as brothers and sisters and we will work through this together To me, that's a very fundamental principle. When Ellen White talks about those who were keen and noble and true, who gathered together at the Sabbath conferences of 1848 to 1850 and tried to hammer out the doctrines and whatnot, the main thing she argues there is that 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 group, providentially, (laughs) was enabled to set aside minor details on which they knew there would be differences of opinion. It says, it was the effort of everyone to see eye to eye, for we knew that Christ was not divided. We sought to answer his prayer of John 17. Okay? We're moving away from that. I think that's huge. Now, that's a little tricky because, you know, I'm as much of a renegade as the next guy. And when the conference doesn't do what I think ought to be done, And when my local church is doing weird and squirrely things that I don't think ought to be done, I have a tendency to look elsewhere. It raises some questions. (coughs) Did I hit the wrong button? I did hit the wrong button. Okay. (coughs) A new organization would be established. Well, well, doesn't say that a replacement organization would be established, it's a new one. We were just talking last time about lay sodalities. Now, we have a number of new organizations that have been established. Some I'm more appreciative of than others. Is that a problem? Books of a new order would be written. Well, It'd be interesting to know exactly what ellen white had in mind this is a charge of course which has come up every time somebody's written a book that somebody else didn't like <laughs> you know, just, I mean, questions on doctrine books of a new order you know okay you know, this one books of a new order you know this is this is a charge that we've thrown around rather liberally uh, which is surprising for a bunch of conservatives but <laughs> um but nonetheless it's there it's in the it's in the the statement. Books play a very prominent role in what's going on today. Are these the books of a new order? I don't have omniscience to say that's what Ellen White was referring to, but it might be. Maybe. A system of intellectual philosophy would be introduced. There's nothing wrong with intellect, but intellectual philosophy seems to me to be in contradistinction to heart conversion, if you wish, maybe. The founders of the system would go into the cities and do a wonderful work. Really? That's an interesting thought. Go into the cities and do a wonderful work. I'd like to introduce you to the Adventist Peace Fellowship, brand new organization. They have a number of goals, one of which is peacemaking and reconciliation. We support strategies of nonviolent conflict resolution and ecumenical dialogue. Which part of that don't you like? Well, okay, yeah, actually the second part. Health and human rights. We support the right of all persons to care, uh, the right to, I would say, receive care perhaps, that honors their dignity and worth. Well, that sounds noble enough. We support environmental stewardship, conservation, and the rights of animals. Mm, you know, up to a point. You know, I think we should try to be nice to animals. Maybe we should stop eating cows, for instance. <laughs> well, that would I'm sure there's a lot of cows who'd appreciate that. We support liberty of conscience and free speech for persons of all beliefs, or none. We support the equal human rights of all persons made in the image of God. (laughs) But notice this is racial and gender equality. And I think that the key word is going to be Sabbath economics. That's a new term to me. We support debt relief for developing nations and a preferential option for the poor. What's a preferential option? I'm not sure. I didn't read enough to find out. Um, Unfortunately, at this point, the the website basically consists of each of these topics with a long list of a a bibliography of sources that you can go become educated on. the, um, the Adventist Peace Fellowship is one of a number of fellowships. There's also a Baptist Peace Fellowship, and a Jewish Peace Fellowship, and a Buddhist Peace Fellowship, and I don't remember what else there was on the list. Um, so that would make the Adventist Peace Fellowship one small piece in the big picture of Peace Fellowships, yes. <coughs> um, Interestingly, the individuals listed on the website have a fairly strong correlation with the individuals listed on some other websites that we've been talking about. So these are the same people, same interests moving into the cities to do a great work. The Sabbath, of course, would be lightly regarded as also the God who created it. Um something to keep an eye on. Let's put that one. Nothing would be allowed to stand in the way of the new movement. What does that imply? Well, it means there's power behind it somewhere, you know? I mean, when you say, get out of my way, there's some sort of an implication that you can do something about it if they get in your way. (laughs) The leaders would teach that virtue is better than vice. But God being removed, they would place their dependence on human power, which without God is worthless. <clears throat> now this is an interesting charge, if you wish, that Ellen White would make, you know, to whatever extent she was applying this to Kellogg. Sometimes I think that her statements from this, that era apply more particularly in our time than they maybe did even in Kellogg's time. I wonder about that sometimes. But but to apply this to Kellogg, Kellogg never denied that there was a God. But he made of God a non-entity, Ellen White says. You no, know, Kellogg wouldn't agree with that. No, he says, I don't I do not do that. Not at all, not at all, not at all. Actually, I make God much more than you do. I, I make him everywhere. <laughs> but god being removed in any functional way of affecting the mind and heart of the individual they end up depending on nothing more than human power this is a little ironic to think that this i'm going to say i believe this will be fulfilled in the current drift Despite the fact that there is a strong emphasis on God and Christ and spirituality, the system, the, the, the concept is marred and produces a situation in which God is removed as a, a force and a power and a, a motivating source in the life. And so virtue will be better than vice, but vice is not going to go out of business. That way. Their foundation would be built on the sand, and storm and tempest would sweep away the structure. Uh, what's the allusion to the literary allusion? A parable. The parable, the two houses. I want to just point out something really obvious about that parable that when somebody pointed it out to me, seemed kind of profound. I'd never thought of that before. The difference is not in the storm. The difference is in the houses. It's the same storm. Both houses go through the storm one goes through looking like a house and the other one goes through looking like a pile of rubble at the end the storm is the same this is actually a promise accept it as a promise all false systems will be swept away by what's coming that's a good thing But what's coming? <laughs> what's coming? I, I, you know, understand that human wisdom is partial when it comes to the future, and we get ourselves in trouble trying to understand or trying to decipher too much. But at the same time, to some extent, the Lord has opened some portals of view on this, and I think we would be negligent if we didn't try to understand where this is all going, what the end game is. One other sermon that I remember from years ago, very few of these, was a good point. <clears> the <throat> young man said, uh, he said, it's good to know where you're going to end up. Because if you know where you're going to end up, it, it helps you make the right choices to get there. He said, so go to, I believe it's Revelation 20, I think it is. Maybe it's 21. I'm, I'm sorry, I don't remember off the top of my head. But it says, I can't quote the verse, but it says, we're all in heaven and we are servants of God. Says, that's where you're going to end up. That's where you're trying to end up. Get used to it now. <laughs> get used to it now. And that's, if, that's, if that's where you want to be, <laughs> get in the game, right? Okay. So where are we going? Where are we going with all this? The truth for this time, the third angel's message is to be proclaimed with a loud voice, meaning with increasing power as we approach the great final test. This test must come to the churches in connection with the true medical missionary work. A work that has the great physician to dictate and preside in all. Typo right there, sorry about that. It comprehends. In all it comprehends. The great final test must come to the churches in connection with medical missionary work. You know, I would have. You know, if I were the editor on this one, I would have probably gone. The Sabbath, <laughs> right? You know? I mean, we all know. I mean, we're Seventh-day Adventists, right? We all know that the great final test is over the Sabbath. Well, she doesn't say that it's not, but she says it's in connection with medical missionary work. What's so special about medical missionary work? Well, I think what makes it special is it's the answer to every problem we've discussed. Do you have young people in your church that are bored with church? There's no intensity to it? Get them involved in medical missionary work. Do you have people that need to learn to trust God so that they'll be able to hang on to that rope and swing across that chasm? Get them involved in medical missionary work. And push them. Well, no, don't push them. Encourage them to get involved to the point where it's going to hurt if God doesn't get involved. Does that make sense? Is that, is that presumptuous? Now something struck me the other day <clears throat> as I was contemplating this. Because what I've come to is I've, I've I, I, in my own thinking at this point, I'm at the point where I actually would encourage everyone to rationally, intelligently, by comparing, looking at the Lord's instruction and, and you know, becoming intelligent. Don't be dumb. But don't hesitate to take steps forward in doing what we know God has asked us to do, which is Isaiah 58, medical missionary work, all that stuff. And as the opportunities come before you, there will come a point Where you can't do what needs to be done. You don't have the time. You don't have the money. And at that point, do it anyway. That's where you learn faith. Do it anyway. I don't have the money. Understood. Do it. intelligently, and, and, and I'm, I'm, the track of truth is close beside the track of error. I don't know that I can tell anybody in their own heart and life what the difference between presumption and faith is at this point. Do you see what I'm saying? Do not refer to me <laughs> as an authority here. I'm just saying that I believe that's the experience the Lord is leading us to as we're walking down this trail, and it's getting skinnier all the time. We're going to come to the point where there's nothing to stand on. Every earthly support will be removed. Right? You've read that? Um, We'll come back to some more thoughts here. Let's go on. This is an interesting letter Ellen White wrote. It's actually addressed to physicians, plural, but... Right there she uses a singular, and I believe she's actually writing to David Paulson. Remember the guy that thumped Daniels on the chest and told him that he needed to vote for Living Temple? Okay, I think that's who she's writing to here. My brother, I cannot understand how you could tell me that there is in the Living Temple nothing that is not in harmony with what we as a people believe. Remember the um, what we discussed in the last meeting. <laughs> I thought you a true watchman, quick to see when evil from the enemy was stealing into our ranks. I thought you would be wide awake to discern the approach of the enemy and give the alarm. The rebuke of God rests upon you because you did not discern the dangerous character of the fables that were being circulated. Now, we're going to go to the next paragraph, but I want you to remember this context. She's talking living temple. She's talking pantheism. She's talking the Kellogg situation. This is the Alpha of Apostasy. Next paragraph. The rebuke of God is upon every minister and every medical missionary leader who has been asleep on the walls of Zion, when, as vigilant watchmen, they should have warned the people of the Lord against the den- dangers threatening them. Well, okay, we understand that. Next paragraph. Wonderful scenes with which Satan will be closely connected will soon take place. God's word declares that Satan will work miracles. He will make people sick and then will suddenly remove from them his satanic power. They will be regarded as healed. These works of apparent healing will bring Seventh-day Adventists to the test. The test which is the test. I'll just say that my opinion is this is the great final test which must come to the churches in connection with medical missionary work, with true medical missionary work. Many who have had great light will fail to walk in the light because they have not become one with Christ. His instruction is not palatable to them. Now, couple of things to notice. We've obviously got the, I mean, kind of the wow factor of the statement is these uh, works of apparent healing. I'm going to suggest that that's the direction the emergent church is, is, is moving. I don't know how fast. I don't know through what channels. Don't know how long it'll take. But it's it's very close to the core concepts of what they're working with, anyhow. Um, at this point, even in the non-Adventist branch of the emergent church, I don't you don't. I'm not aware of a great deal of faith healing type of stuff. There is some there's not I don't I I don't think it would be right to describe it as being a a major feature of the emergent church even outside of Adventism at this point but I believe it'll head that way thus saith Dave (laughs) take it or leave it okay Yeah. Okay. Are you thinking of within or without of the Adventist Church at this without. point? Without. without. Okay. Uh huh. Okay. Okay. Is that into our I've heard of isolated events of things that sounded that way. Yeah. I I I just think that's the direction we're headed. And at some point, you know it, it elevates to wonderful scenes. You know at some point, it will no longer be something done in a corner. It's, just, it's going to be a big issue. <clears throat> big issues can blow up rather quickly, you know um, On a historical time frame, at least. you know I remember what was it um, must have been 2002 when the first same-sex marriage licenses were given out in whatever it was San Francisco or what I forget where it was and you know so we're now 12 years down the road but the country's gone a long way in 12 years on that subject you know that's I know 12 years I mean some of you are young enough that 12 years down still sounds like forever but Trust me, Louis. you know, get a little older and 12 years is not that long, okay? <laughs> <clears throat> I want to tie in one other thing that may not be an obvious connection in, in every mind, but I think it, to my mind it's a tie-in. The Laodicean message. What are the three things that we're supposed to, you know, the, the three remedies that are offered us in the Laodicean message? The gold, ISAV, and the garment. Okay. Now the white garment is probably the easiest one to identify, and we're told that is righteousness of Christ, righteousness by faith. Okay. We already talked about the ISAV, is the. That's that's the word I was looking for. Spiritual discernment, the ability to recognize sin and under any guise. I think is the way it's worded, something like that. Okay. What's the gold? Yeah. faith that works by love which is tried in the fire yes tribulation but faith and love and in one place she says the gold represents faith and love and love takes the precedence she specifies okay so hang on to those thoughts so this is volume no this is early writings it's very similar in volume one but I think I end up quoting from early writings I saw some with strong faith and agonizing cries pleading with God. Their countenances were pale and marked with deep anxiety, expressive of their internal struggle. Tried in the fire. It's not easy. This is not something for wimps. Firmness and great earnestness was expressed in their countenances. Large drops of perspiration fell from their foreheads. Now and then their faces would light up with the marks of God's approbation. And again, the same solemn, earnest, anxious look would settle upon them. This is not a fun experience. Evil angels crowded around, pressing darkness upon them to shut out Jesus from their view. That their eyes might be drawn to the darkness that surrounded them. And thus they be led to distrust God and murmur against him. Their only safety was in keeping their eyes directed upward. Angels of God had charge over his people, and as the poisonous atmosphere of evil angels was pressed around these anxious ones, the heavenly angels were continually wafting their wings over them to scatter the thick darkness. That's a really interesting visual image, you know. Um, As the praying ones continued their earnest cries, at times a ray of light from Jesus came to them to encourage their hearts and light up their countenances. Some, I saw, did not participate in this work of agonizing and pleading. They seemed indifferent and careless. They were not resisting the darkness around them, and it shut them in like a thick cloud. The uh, cloud of unknowing, perhaps. The angels of God left these and went to the aid of the earnest praying ones. Okay. I saw angels of God hasten to the assistance of all who were struggling with all their power to resist the evil angels and trying to help themselves by calling upon God with perseverance. But his angels left those who made no effort to help themselves and I lost sight of them. I asked the meaning of the shaking I had seen and was shown that it would be caused by the straight testimony called forth by the counsel of the true witness to the Laodiceans. This will have its effect upon the heart of the receiver and will lead him to exalt the standard and pour forth the straight truth. Some will not bear this straight testimony. They will rise up against it, and this is what will cause a shaking among God's people. This issue has bothered me for the last year or two. You know, I remember some years ago hearing as a you know a fairly frequent complaint from the you know more conservative wing of the church that you know pastors never preach on the Laodicean message. It's like they just dropped that entirely from their sermon. Rotation, then it's probably pretty much true. I mean, you know, has anybody heard a message, a sermon on the Laodicean message in the last year? Anybody? Yeah, there you go. We got one. Two? Okay. It's not real common, but you know what? When I look at this and I got to thinking about it, I wouldn't want to give a sermon on the Laodicean message because this is what's supposed to happen after I give my sermon. And you know what would happen after I gave a sermon on the ladies and message? I'd stand at the door and I'd shake people's hands and say, it's a great, it's a great sermon. Dave, really enjoyed that. <laughs> <laughs> that's, yeah, that's the only shaking going on. <laughs> God bless you. Have a happy Sabbath. You know. Do you think... You could stir up any real trouble? I mean, <laughs> with the straight testimony, the latest scenes. Yeah, we've we've taken we've taken the phrase straight testimony. I'm gonna give them the straight testimony, brother. Yeah. And and we apply the straight testimony to everything from aluminum cookingware on down. You know, it's like you can't be using aluminum cookingware, man. It's not it's, it's not consistent with the health message. Okay, there you go. That's the straight testimony, brother, right there no more aluminum pins <laughs> 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 you know? is that i mean you know really 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 is that the straight testimony is that the is is, is that the shaking we're looking for or is everybody has to run to walmart to buy a new set of cooking wear or something that's the what is it we're talking about and you know At the risk of being unduly and irrationally radical, which, you know, I have a weakness towards, I've been thinking about this. And there's a statement that says that, I don't have it here, I should have put it in. All the means which the Lord entrusts to us, above and beyond what is necessary for Above, above and beyond the necessities of life, are to be used to help and bless humanity. And that's made me wonder if the whole thing about being rich and increased with goods, I've, I've begun to wonder if that has anything to do with actually being rich and increased with goods. I, I know that's ridiculously literal, but I've began to wonder about that. And the gold tried in the fire. I think I'm probably long already, aren't I? My apologies, I'll wrap this up. The gold tried in the fire, faith and love. I've been contemplating, and this is not a finished, polished, perfect concept probably. But all this stuff about medical missionary work, which must, it's, you know, it's in connection with the great final test, mm-hmm. true medical missionary work. I've been trying to figure out what is it that will ever provide enough influence for Seventh-day Adventists to, to bring the world to a test. Part of it, a big part of it, is that the world stipulates a test too. The world says Sunday, but that's in their hands, and that's not in our hands. What is it that you know? To me, it's 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 ironic. You know, Martin Luther didn't keep the Sabbath but we expect him to be in heaven. John Wycliffe didn't keep the Sabbath, but we expect him to be in heaven. Martin Luther, I said to him, uh, William Miller didn't keep the Sabbath, but we expect him to be in heaven. The Sabbath historically has been the easiest of the commandments, really the only one of the commandments it's it's not that difficult to overlook. I, I just didn't, you know, he hadn't received the light. We don't say that about stealing or murder or adultery you know? Well, I, I just didn't know I wasn't supposed to be killing people. But this this, this commandment, which appears in one sense to be the, the weakest of them all, is going to be elevated to be the most significant of them all. And everything, a person's entire moral... Compass, their, their entire moral condition is going to come down and be measured by a single question. Do you keep Sabbath? You're good. Now there's a lot of people today that keep Sabbath that um, you know I'm not trying to sound judgmental, but I don't think they're good. You know, they don't work on Sabbath. They go to church, they pay tithes, they lead the song service. They commit adultery, but they're good. No, no, they're not good. There's a problem there. That was number five. That was the one that was a problem. I don't know if you noticed it. Uh, Just just keeping the Sabbath is not uh, a guarantee of anything at this point. But at that point, it will be. And this is not the first time. Once before, the entire moral measurement of every human being on earth came down to a single question which side of the door are you on when the rain comes down? <laughs> you know? I think it was very similar in the days of Jesus for all those who were you know, confronted with it. What do you do with the man Jesus? What do you think about him? Every now and then in, in, in sacred history, the Lord has brings about a, a circumstance where everything boils down to one issue but everything's encompassed. And it's a moral measurement. It's not a philosophical, theoretical, well, I studied it out, and I understand that the Catholic Church instituted Sunday worship at the Council of such and such, blah, blah, blah. That's not it, man. There's there's a moral component. There has to be. It has to be a moral issue. Please don't try to tell me that God's gonna say, well, the difference between you and you is you understand this, so you go to heaven, and you never figure it out, so you get to burn. There are moral components in all this. Yeah, that's a good point. Another illustration? <clears throat> the simplest test possible, on do why it says. And I think down at the end of time, it's going to be the simplest test possible, too, under terrible circumstances. But the test is very simple. The test is. The world says, you keep Sunday, or we kill you. And God says, you keep Sunday, and I burn you. That's the third angel's message, right? Yeah. Who do you trust? Who do you trust? Inherent in choosing your leader is the concept that he can protect you from the other guys. So is the world going to protect you from God, or is God going to protect you from the world? Your call. Who have you been used to trusting? How much weight have you put on that cord? How many times have you stepped out over the abyss where it's going to get really, really ugly unless God gets involved? That's the direction we're moving, I think. The straight testimony? I'm not there yet, but I have a hunch the only straight testament that's going to create a shaking in Adventism is when we start preaching very, very literally on being rich and increased in goods. Are all your funds above the necessities of life invested in helping and blessing humanity? Yes. No. I think that could create a shaking i think i could get people mad at me with it anyhow the lord calls for a renewal of the straight testimony born in years past he calls for a revival of spiritual life the spiritual energies of his people have long been torpid but there will be a resurrection from apparent death i like promises in the future god will call this is this is one quote now. It just goes on the next paragraph, right? In the future, God will call for the gifts and talents of man not now actively engaged in his service. Let these respond to his call, putting their trust in the great medical missionary. What did I just say? <laughs> He's calling for the gifts and talents. It says, let them respond, putting their trust in the great medical missionary. It's like they, the road got really narrow right there. Did you notice that? I just kind of had to go, Wee! <laughs> Hang on to that court. The power that is the life of the soul has not been seen as it must be. What? That's kind of a cryptic sentence. The power that is the life of the Lord has not been seen as It has been smothered for want of spiritual ventilation. The blending of human effort and divine grace. That goes back to that southern preacher I mentioned yesterday. You know, We don't depend on God much because we do such a good job of taking care of ourselves. <laughs> the blending of human effort and divine grace. <clears throat> God is calling upon his people to work. He comes to them as they idle away the precious golden moments and says, go work today in my vineyard. By prayer and confession of sin, we must clear the king's highway. As we do this, the power of the Spirit will come to us. We need the Pentecostal energy. This will come, for the Lord has promised to send his Spirit as the all-conquering power. Men may still learn the things that belong to their peace. That's a great promise. I have things I need to learn. I suspect others do too. Some whom I might think incapable of learning may still learn things that belong to their peace mercy's voice may still be heard calling come unto me all you that labor and are heavy laden i will give you rest take my yoke upon you learn of me i'm meek and lowly in heart and you shall find rest of your souls for my yoke is easy my burden is light it is only when spiritual life is given that rest is found and lasting good is secured we must be able to say in storm and tempest my anchor holds He who builds upon any other foundation than that which has been laid builds upon shifting sand. God calls for a reformation. But he who seeks to bring about a reformation without the aid of the Holy Spirit's reviving power will find himself adrift. Those who turn from human foolishness and frailty from man's seductive arts, from Satan's planning to Christ, the shepherd and bishop of our souls, will stand secure upon the platform of eternal truth we need a wisdom that's beyond anything i have approximated i mean god calls for a reformation who's calling for a reformation in the church today right who's talking about the holy spirit's reviving power today in the church mm. but who's promoting human foolishness and man's seductive arts ouch We've got issues, we've got challenges. We have to be faithful, but will fall. Mm-hmm. And true healing is salvation, and true salvation is healing. So, that's that's my partially thought through. <laughs> Wish I had it better. Best I have at the time. I'm not sure oh series B, oh, series B. yeah oh okay I know what story you're talking about uh, I've heard that yeah I don't I, I I don't believe personally that that was an effort to destroy all record of all copies no but yeah I've heard destroy along those lines that somebody was trying to get rid of at least a copy or something um, Anyhow, so that's the connection in my mind, for what it's worth, is that, I, yes, I have very great concerns with the emergent church and the teachings accompanying it. I honestly believe that a proper understanding of medical missionary work, Isaiah 58, is, is the best antidote that I know of. It's the way to bring a real life into the church that will offset the accusation that it's all boring and you know there's no no real meaning here there's been no real meaning because we've taken no real risks that's just page back or so here that's suffocation from uh, a lack of uh, there it is yeah the power that is the life of the soul has not been seen as it must be we haven't had that you know i haven't it's not been overflowing in our churches, let's put it that way, right? It has been smothered for want of spiritual ventilation, the blending of human effort and divine grace. We haven't, we haven't just stuck our neck out there and said, you know what? I'm going to make my human effort and depend on divine grace. But those are the stories. I mean, just think of any Bible story you would tell a seven-year-old for a bedtime story. And they're all stories. I mean, there's gotta be an exception someplace, but yeah. You know, Abraham. Goes out to a land which he knew not. That could have been a really messy situation. You know, he could have been mugged the first day out. <laughs> okay, you know. Uh, Moses. Moses, you know. So I'm going to march back here and I'm going to take on the mightiest nation on earth. You know. That sounds like an interesting experience. You know? Without God, that might not have gone well. Daniel. Right. David, Goliath. Right. Paul. They're all stories of people who stuck their neck out doing God's work, and basically got in a position where it was, Lord, you got to have my back, or I'm just toast. Proverbs nineteen seventeen: He who has pity on the poor lends to the Lord, and He will repay. Well, like I say, kind of a cluttered presentation. Not an entirely clear understanding of how everything all fits together. I wish I had more, but that's what I have to offer and our time is up. So let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord, we thank you for your instruction and we thank you for your leading. We pray that you would lead us each individually, that you would uh, bless us each with a testimony to share and a, a uh, encouragement, and a blessing and some instruction some lesson learned that will be a benefit to our brothers and sisters. Help us to draw together, to find that unity in Christ that is one of those fundamental principles upon which our faith has been built. We thank you for these things now, in Jesus' name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more.